Hello and welcome to Inside Indie Ref, the new series of podcasts with key players on both sides of the independence referendum debate, which aims to cut through the campaign waffle and find out what they're really thinking about the big issues. It's brought to you by Message Matters and hosted by me, Peter Duncan. And me, Andy McKeever, and we're going to be in coffee shops and cafes throughout Scotland with a laptop, a microphone, a 15-minute egg timer and a key referendum campaigner. You'll find us on Twitter at Inside Indie Ref, and of course on messagematters.co.uk. So let's go to this week's podcast. Hi, welcome to the Brass and Copper Coffee Shop in William Street in Edinburgh's West End, and we're here uh, today with Michelle Thompson. Delighted to have you with us, Michelle. Morning. Uh, Michelle, um, as I'm sure everyone will know, is um, a businesswoman and MD of Business for Scotland, and delighted to have you with us. Uh, for our, I think, our 11th podcast. 11th podcast. Um, Must have been we're getting close to the referendum. We are getting there. <laughs> we we are. are. We're getting there eventually. Um, Michelle, we're going to talk about a range of business uh-huh. issues, which I think well, obviously is, is your specialism. More generally, and yeah. I think it's only people on the fringes of Better Together probably who wouldn't accept that Scotland could be a successful country. Yeah. Some still hold on to that. A fundamentalist view that just wouldn't be able to happen. I think most now would say, of course it would. But in that situation, clearly it's about the decisions that are taken after independence that will determine yeah. how successful we are. The, the narrative of ending austerity, which is a big Yes Scotland focus, mm-hmm. how, I mean, that, that's clearly going to have a, a fairly early impact on, for example, AAA credit rating, the business, more general business and economic environment. How do you reconcile those two? those two um, outcomes? Well, I suppose I would break it down into the two sections. Some people are still confused that they imagine that on the 18th of September, assuming a a yes vote, then they'll wake up on the 19th and they'll be saying, well, what's different? Did the the sun rise in a different area? Uh, No, of course it won't. So there'll be a devil of uh, negotiations and calculations to work out then. Now, at that point, the most important thing to me is that uh, I mean, and this is what I think will happen. Alex Salmond and David Cameron will appear together uh, and say, "Move along now, nothing to see here." Uh, yeah, uh-huh. move along now, nothing to see here. We are open for trade, and we're going to continue to be. Uh, we're going to be having a good old chat, nothing to worry about. Because in reality, when the politics are over, it's actually vital that both kind of sections of what was a UK indicate that they're open for business, that they'll take an adult and responsible approach. So all these things that are kind of bartering around just now, currency union, whatever, they've all got to be sorted out rapidly. So thinking about the play to the to the world markets, this issue around currency union, I know we might not want to go there because it's been done not to death. <laughs> And the, uh, you know, uh, but that kind of idea around uh, how it's all sorted out, I just think these things, that will be the first thing that happens, that they're clear and that the large businesses have a level of clarity over, you know, so regulatory kind of, an emerging clarity over kind of taxation framework. So just to deal with these quickly before we move on to post, yes. Uh, in terms of the sort of, I expect some movement on the regulatory framework, I expect some movement on the currency union, and as far as tax specifically, as we know, the UK's current tax system is incredibly complex, and in actual fact, the simplest thing to do is to to disentangle systems where it's appropriate, and if that can be done, so that on day one, 
things are as they were, to allow them to evolve. And okay. I, but does that not get to the fundamental issue here? I mean, I mean, if you take the first part of what you were saying yeah. there, Michelle, from a business perspective, I, you would almost expect the next part to be, and actually Scotland can move towards a flat tax situation yeah. and become the dynamic Estonian growth economy or whatever. Yeah. But actually, we, we the narrative then actually moves on to a Francois Hollande <laughs> agenda of we can start, we can end the austerity, we can start paying everyone more, and actually, as Francois Hollande has found, at the end of the day, crunch day comes. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I suppose I'm speaking without the benefit of any uh, understanding of what the governmental situation will be post-vote. You know, so obviously we've got to remember as well that there'll be an election in Scotland, and we've got to remember that policies or uh, you know for election may be driven by that. I'm just actually where I'm coming to is from a, a kind of business background that. Um, it's really quite important that uh, things are tidied up, that if there's a vote, well, we all need to move on and deal with it, whatever the outcome in business. So if it's a yes vote, there needs to be clarity for sort of large businesses, right? This is the situation. Now, at the same time, from a populist agenda, I would imagine that the SNP, you're correct, may want to be saying, oh, well, we can do this, we can do that. But they've all got to be kind of costed. They've got to be calculated on the basis of the budget availability at the point of independence. So it's balancing this kind of drive and ambition and fulfilment of kind of sales, if you like, it's like order fulfilment, if you like, yeah. in terms of what people voted for against the change agenda, which uh, I've had a lot of experience in change, which actually is, it's quite important that on, on day one of independence, after that date, that things are ordered, that the that people are paid. I mean, we're talking about fundamentals here. That people have certainty that their pensions are going to be paid, that their salaries are so going to be paid. be paid. Exactly. Yeah. So those sort of things are kind of completely fundamental, and they've got to be sorted out and working. And it's at that point then, I think, because they're, they're like, you know, from a risk perspective, they're the bottom line things. And also sending out that message to the international money markets, Scotland is open for business. We have a mature legal system. We are going to continue to be the best of friends with our nearest friends and neighbours, even though there's going to be this constitutional change. And actually, I expect Westminster to take exactly the same message because it's in their interest. So I just almost sort of feel that the politics will be... You know, more pragmatic. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is clearly correct. But I suppose if you, from the business community's point of view, the election, the first election, which is expected to be 2016, yeah. which will be just after Independence Day, yeah. it is not likely that the cards will have been thrown up into political party terms by that point. And so it's pretty likely yeah. that the government will be made up by the SNP or something like the SNP. So yeah. in that respect, the white paper matters a lot. And mm -hmm. what's in the white paper matters a lot because it's the only indicator that we have of what they're going to do. Now, the business community presumably would not be hugely in favour, for example, of renationalising Royal Mail, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what scope do you think there is for people to look at the white paper and say, OK, I know that's what you said during the campaign, but surely everything's different now. You know, do you think that there, there is, do you think it's just a reset button effectively on policy after a yes vote? Mm, no, I don't think so. And you are correct to point that out in the white paper. I mean, the, the, the development of it was quite cleverly kind of some SNP policies within the white paper. 
I mean, it was a framework or a blueprint for an independent Scotland, but with also some SNP policies. And, and for, I think people have got it now, but for a while people were confused about what was an SNP policy and what was actually this kind of framework or blueprint, if you're like. And you're right in terms of the timescale, because they are saying, well, that's, that's what it will be. And the other thing is that, I mean, you're right about the other political parties, and I expect a grand old change to occur in the Scottish political climate altogether, which will most impact uh, the where the Westminster parties, but I anticipate it will also impact SNP as well, because as we know, there, there's quite a, a marriage of different views, all unified under the banner of independence. I expect the Labour Party to have to change radically, because I think it's kind of, it's, uh, it's I mean, to be honest, I think it's lost its way, it's sort of, uh, it's social fairness uh, agenda, it's ambition, its vision, well it's completely lacking. I think there'll be a place for a version of perhaps old Scottish Conservatives with a small C who have also lost their way. Not them. <laughs> well, I know we remember them, but I mean, I suppose, I mean, I actually think that balance is healthy in political society and I expect the Greens will uh, do well as well. We could, you never know, we could have another emerging party. So you're right to point out uh, about that deadline, but for me, it will be getting the balance between, because, okay, well, we've got a, suddenly it will then be a delivery framework. What they will be taking, and assuming it is the SNP, what they'll be taking to the electorate for that date, I imagine, will be drawn from both the white paper and a recognition of the kind of current priorities. Because they will need to prioritise things. I mean, to me, all I'm pointing out from a business perspective is that you know, you ha if you if you work to attain things, the first thing you must do is protect them before you go out and foster. You know, if you look for new business, you've got to protect what you've got. So I'm saying, post yes vote, it's vital that we protect what we've got. We make sure that these kind of bottom line things, like we mentioned, the civil services in place and then you can start to think about what are your priorities for tackling things and the next point that I feel we've had very little talk in this debate about uh, creating jobs and creating mm. wealth and perhaps that's because the kind of proposition has been mostly targeted at the sort of left of centre agenda and I get that and I understand it and I agree with it because that's where the, the let's move on to that then but let's do it just in order to in order for balance, let's do it from the from the perspective of a potential no vote. We talked about the Tories. The Tories and the Lib Dems, if they are back in government this time next year, which is a reasonable prospect, um, they are looking to devolve all of income tax, and between them, they're looking to assign the revenues, not devolve, but assign the revenues of VAT and uh, corporation tax. There's a few others chucked in there as well, inheritance tax and capital gains, which are both very small. If they do that, it's quite a big step forward from the Scotland Act, and certainly a big step forward from where we are just now. But what's missing in your view, even well, after they devolve those? Um, I think, right, first of all, I have to unpick that. I feel that you're being more than optimistic. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. I did see he was giving them the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. We did see we were giving them the benefit. I mean, I'm all for uh, blue sky thinking, yeah. uh, and that's no bad thing. But I have to say that the appetite uh, again, I, I can draw on my experience in, in corporate life. If you walk into somewhere and you've got an exec saying we want to affect the significant change, all you need to do is ask them a few choice questions to test their appetite, and it's usually very obvious. And I have to say that I am beyond cynical 
in the trust I hold of, in the event of a no vote, Westminster parties delivering anything substantive uh, in terms of devolution. And why am I that? Well, I don't genuinely see an appetite. What we have seen are peace meal proposals that are not even agreed often uh, by their Westminster MPs. We've been hearing talk of guarantees when it's not in their gift to guarantee. And then you look at timescales. Timescales, the setup of the Calman Commission in 1997, ultimately delivering in 2016 to deliver just a few changes. I mean, it's almost like a pointless discussion to me. It's like if I saw a pig flying across the sky, how would I feel? I just don't believe it. I think that, that we need to be quite clear here. If there's a, a no vote, I imagine there might be some talk of further devolution. I don't even hold with your view that it could be Tories Liberals. I think unfortunately, and it's not something I even remotely agree with, that UKIP will do well. They are really gunning for things and there's a serious issue and it's not going to be over till it's over. So that's a much more likely thing. And then you've got, you know, really the mutterings and listen to uh, Polly Toynbee and Eddie Bowen from the Campaign for an English Parliament. Eddie Bowen in particular was quite clear. Well, for goodness sake, not only are you not going to get anything else, but your NHS is going to be privatising your budget will be cut. It was quite an interview in GMS. It was quite an interview, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Available on wings to I'm, listen to, I'm dear listeners. I'm sure it is, I'm sure it is. <laughs> can, can I, I mean, obviously, some, some, of the, some of the suggestions you make are going to require some form of, of, of control and influence over monetary policy. Uh, <clears throat> and yet, in the debate so far... Um, and in, the, in Alex Salmon's strategy, it seems that effectively he is willing to trade that monetary policy. We said we wouldn't mention currency. I know. <laughs> he's, willing, he's willing to trade that monetary policy for for currency union. Effectively, that seems uh -huh. to be a sort of that's yeah. the high level trade he's willing to make. Do you think that, it, that in the lo in the longer term, to achieve the business environment that you crave, that at the end of the day we're going to have to come to a solution that includes Scottish control of monetary policy too? Well, I suppose all of these things are of the future and the important fun founding principle is that it's Scotland's sovereign right to decide. And of course, this is at the very heart of this debate. I suppose, to my mind, people can get somewhat worked up about it. And I like to unpick these arguments. I mean, it was uh, Carney, the Governor of the Bank of England, when he came up to do his uh, speech in Edinburgh, who used the term that a currency union would require the seeding of a level of sovereignty by both nations. Yeah. And in some respects, looking at the agenda and, and understanding almost the kind of taste of the politics as, as a right shunts further to the right, I think that term, seeding sovereignty, is a very difficult one for both the Tories and UKIP to kind of try on, if you like. So from their perspective, they look up to Scotland, they look down on Scotland, and they say, ceding sovereignty to Scotland? Certainly not. And I actually think that's possibly part of, of the uh, debate. The second point I would make is that if you allocated a percentage number of it, you're saying, right, it, it provides the best outcome for, for both uh, nations. We know, obviously, it's done in Europe, and we don't say for a minute that you know Germany and France aren't independent. But how much is it, if you were to acquire a number, give a number to it, is it giving away 5%, yeah. 10%? And I think there's some woolly thinking there. If you look at the economic policies, particularly 
around growth because there's more than one way to skin a cat. I think that the Scottish Government will still have considerable flexibility to create wealth and create jobs, which is a thing that we're, we're all looking for, even within the framework of a currency union. So is it a disaster for Scotland if that there are limits on debt and deficit? Well, actually, is it not about time Westminster started to have some rules? Because for goodness sake, looking at the debt level, we could be 1.5 trillion by the time Scotland becomes independent. So do I yeah. necessarily regard that as a bad thing? The other thing... You know, I to, be, to play devil's advocate, yeah. and time's against us, but to play devil's advocate, the only argument against that is that it's difficult to recall a situation in the last 40 years where voices from Scotland have called for either higher taxes or lower spending. Yeah. It's usually been, we want lower taxes and we want higher spending. Okay, so, actually so you're making an assumption there, and I'll tell you what your fundamental assumption is. So we know that, we we hope that Scotland will have some level and representation on the NPC, which of course it doesn't have yeah. at the moment. But imagine if, so imagine if Scotland, because we know, and you touched on it earlier, I think in the, the introduction about the AAA rating, imagine Scotland's been awarded a AAA rating. I anticipate investors will start to move into Scotland. People mm-hmm. will want to come to Scotland. I mean, look, this year's Edinburgh Festival's had the, exactly has had the best returns. Some about that is about profile on the world stage of Scotland. So you might quick, quite quickly to see the evidence that, yeah, London will re- remain a city-state. It will remain an economic powerhouse but if you had to hedge a bet where might be the next place within that currency union that's seeing significant growth and actually I think if you're assuming that oh well, Scotland will continue to be little old Scotland with no influence actually if Scotland's really growing its economy it might actually be obviously to scale it's going to be nowhere near London but in terms of kind of growth mm-hmm. and facing the same challenges because if we've got considerable growth then we may, might have uh, inflationary pressures so it's quite interesting if you think about the, the scenarios well there you go You've by, <laughs> with that extra addition has saved you the, the problem of being asked about Boris Island Airport All right. and a potential <laughs> new airport in Scotland but what we'll do is we'll talk to you about that after a yes vote okay. in a, a, a post yes yeah. podcast okay. instead we are out of time we're well over out of time in fact, um, thank you very much, Michelle, for that. It's very good of you to come thank along. Thank you very much. Folks, stay tuned. Uh, we will say bye to Michelle, and then we'll be back with our usual post-match analysis. Thank you. Hi, folks. That's us back. Uh, Michelle's away to continue her day. Um, pretty interesting stuff. I mean, Business for Scotland has been quite influential during the campaign, actually. It's been pretty visible. It has fulfilled, and I think, uh, from some, speaking as someone who's quite sceptical about the organisation at the start, um, you have to admit it has been a very useful exercise for Yes Scotland, providing um, an antidote to quite a lot of the narrative and just giving them another basis on which to engage with a broader section of the electorate. It's, it's, done, it's done a good job. You've got to admire the sheer discipline of their supporters that you know, those are the those are their supporters who have a more uh, free market disposition have just swallowed all the campaign rhetoric, the very left wing campaign rhetoric and I suppose Business for Scotland, their organisations like it, Wealthy Nation as well, help to hold that together and hold the discipline together. She's very knowledgeable about her field and doesn't come from a political background, which I think makes her views um pretty interesting. Yeah, I think yet. Doesn't yeah. come from political background yet. <laughs> yes. I suspect there may be conversations after this is all over. Um, the austerity stuff, though, 
I think remains slightly unanswered really um, in terms of the SNP in particular and de facto yes Scotland's pledge to end austerity after independence yeah, there's still I, a hint of uh, unrealism about that really and I, and I think the fact that uh, Michelle is not you know, is not tied to the SNP and uh, uh, so on is, has almost came through in her description of <clears throat> a post-referendum discussion on on policy and effectively an acceptance that some of that which has been said during the campaign is just going to be a starting point for discussion after it and um, you know there's going to be a new sense of realism probably and effectively um, if there's a yes vote we're going to be talking about pressing the reset button on quite a lot of the pledges that have happened in the last uh, couple of years certainly well okay folks that's all for today we'll be back next week uh, we're going to try and get you a unionist from the business community to counter what Michelle was saying today they're all bashing at our doors to speak to us they are we'll speak to you soon see you <laughs>